but um, I seen it and it was all I needed to see. And it's pure evil. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to tell you anything graphic about it. I'm just going to tell you the premise of it. And I want to show you where America's mindset is today. This is why when you and I go out and preach the words of life, all they know is death. This is why. Because their mind and their brain is consumed with death. The glorification I am state. seeing something on the screen and repulsed by it. I am sitting there dreading another needle in the eyeball. I am dreading another incision across the scalp and the peeling back of the scalp. That's dread. That is not horror, and that's not entertainment. It is dread. This is some of the Hollywood writers. It's simply appalling. The uh, night of the living dead, you know, the chainsaw massacre, this horrible stuff, the blood and gore. You, you don't want to focus on your life on that because it will haunt you. You have horror movies and wicked movies in your home. Those are gateways. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. We actually that had is- that. Like, we got that much snow this year, but we had some melts in between, so it never actually got that high. But the amount of snow that fell over the course of this winter is pretty much record for this so year. So what do you do? Because that's above, like, your, your house, right? So you're completely snowed in. Yeah, well, this year, like, it'll, like, it will have a warm spell where a bunch of it, like, a ton of it'll melt. So, like, half of it'll all melt, and then it'll snow in again, so. Yeah, but it does become a problem, like, to clear streets, they have to bring in front-end loaders and then dump into the back of dump trucks and, like, take out to fields and stuff to get rid of it, because there's just too much. A lot of people just use snowmobiles to get around. Oh, yeah. People do that. Although you can, they do a good job of keeping the roads clear because they just have so many, so much heavy equipment just dedicated to do it. That is insane. Spring and summer is awesome. Yeah, both weeks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the 50th episode of the Horror Explorer podcast. This is a podcast determined to turn people on to horror movies they might have never seen or even heard of. We like to focus on VHS era horror that most younger horror fans aren't even aware of and some of the more obscure or unusual horror that's come out since. My name's Mike. I'm your host. And this week, once again, I have Jordan with me. Hey, everybody. And back again, Critical Dave. Hello. And Alicia's back. Hey, everyone. So you said you were off on holiday, and the holiday was called Australia Day. Yeah, we get a public holiday for Australia Day, um, and that was on the Thursday, and then I took the Friday off work, so I had a four-day weekend, and then had five days of leave to go to Melbourne, so I have had 11 glorious days off work. (laughs) So what is Australia Day? Um. It's, I guess it'd be our equivalent of your Independence Day, probably. Okay. So, like, Maine sort of national holiday is January 26th. So, like, what happened on that day? I mean, obviously you didn't go to war or anything like that. No. So, it's the anniversary of the arrival of the first British fleet in Australia. With the prisoners? Um, no, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's when they just like first sort of discovered Australia, but obviously we had a huge indigenous population that was already here. So it's kind of become a bit of a point of contention in the country. Mm, Kind of like when they have uh, Columbus Day here in the United States. Now they want to change it. They're changing it to like Native American Day or something. Changing the date or the name of the day? The name of the day. Ah, they want to change the date of ours. Why? What is it? Why is it coincide with something? Well, just the the landing of the first fleet. People are saying, well, it's kind of like invasion day for our indigenous <laughs> brothers and sisters. It's a little bit harsh, you know. It's not a a good uh, celebration for everyone. So. Yeah, there's a big conversation in the country going on at the moment. A lot of people don't want to change the day. They're saying, you know, it's not going to help anyone. But it's, you know, it's a fair point. Invasion days. As long as you don't lose a day off work, I think everyone would be happy with anything. Yeah. Yeah. So over the last couple of weeks since we came back, we've had a couple of filmmakers who have offered us screeners of their horror movies. 
And, uh, you know, these are like short movies. They're newer movies, obviously. You know, we're not going to get screeners of stuff that fits into our format of like 80s and VHS era and obscure stuff or anything like that. But, I mean, we get these offers, and I know Dave's really into newer movies and newer horror, and he loves reviewing stuff. So I figured every week, you know, if we have an opportunity, we're going to devote a tiny little sliver of the show to Dave reviewing these screeners without totally eviscerating them, Dave. So (laughs) what did you check out this week? So this week I watched a short called The Man in the Rabbit Mask, and it's coming out in a few days. I think by the time this podcast is out, it will be out as well. Uh, but it was directed by this person named Ariel Hansen and produced by Tarun Karam. I probably butchered the pronunciation of both names, but that's okay. What did you say this movie was about? This movie is about two little girls who – much like the Bloody Mary thing, if they read a poem, then the creature will appear and offer them candy and the candy. How long will- is this movie, no. Dave? This movie is five minutes long. Oh, OK. Yeah. So it's quite a short. It's a short, short. Yeah, it's just a little short. So the first thing that stuck out to me is the production design because the production design most independent or like student films overlook production design and production design is really important when people ask how do i get my movie to have a big budget feel the answer is almost always production design you need to layer production design and create an environment with your production design and i think they do a very nice job of it here not only that the blocking of the actors is relatively nice nice as well because a mirror plays a key role in the film in the end of the film and it stars two little girls that are sitting on the floor and then they want to suggest that the mirror will become important later so they have the two little girls walk over and continue their conversation by the mirror and then they walk back from the mirror back to the floor and i think that works really well it's pretty subtle and it establishes the space of the room very nicely However, I think the sound perspective could use a bit more subtlety because no matter where we are in relationship to the little girls, no matter where the camera is in relation to them, we they sound exactly the same, which gives the film a kind of artificial feel, that, uh, much unlike the production design, which feels very natural. Another thing I liked was the effect at the end. I don't really want to spoil it, but there's a nice effect at the end of Mr. Rabbity, I believe, is the creature's name, standing in a mirror. It's a nice mirror shot, and Mike knows I love my mirror shots. Oh, yeah. But another thing I kind of want to talk about is the child, the performances of the child actors. Oh, boy. Kind of feels like they're thinking about their lines as if they just memorized them off of the script and are reading them without any sense of like beats or emotional beats or what they're doesn't it doesn't feel natural the way they deliver their lines and often the emotions of the lines will change as they deliver them but their performances will not and there are a few inflections in the way they say certain lines that lets us know that they are actors. There are roughly two quote-unquote jump scares in this film, but they don't exactly work because the editing and cinematography doesn't really manipulate the viewer in any way. I wasn't personally scared by it because there wasn't really any scare construction. For example, at one point, the little one little girl is saying the poem while closing her eyes. Then she opens her eyes. Then the little girl appears behind her in a fake jump scare, which is all right in theory. But I think that it would be better if we had a few more shots leading up to that because what's best in a horror film is misdirection. You need to misdirect the audience into thinking a scare is going to come from one place, and then you effectively scare the audience by having the scare come from the other place. Here, there's really only one place the scare can come from. But anyway, I thought it was fine overall. Those are just some thoughts I had 
about the film. It looked very nice, and it looked very nice, and that's something that a lot of shorts, uh, especially horror shorts, don't uh, do, don't accomplish. And that's for a professional, like, feature film, like the stuff we review here, like anything that comes out from Hollywood, it looking nice is a given, so I don't take that into account. But for independent and student films, I take looking nice into account uh, to a huge degree. So this movie was very successful in that. It, ever, all the shots were pretty, everything was in focus, and the production design was well done. Dave, all can right. I ask, have you yeah, ever seen a child performance that you enjoyed? Yes, yes. For example, the ones in The Shining, of course I enjoy it. But oh, Jesus. <laughs> there have been plenty throughout. I, I can't think of any uh, off the top of my head. Usually the child performances are not good. Have you seen Stranger Things? I have. I like the children in that. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, that's a good example. So you're not a complete asshole. <laughs> All right. Move- <laughs> Moving right along. I, I'm Every- not a complete asshole. I think I'm a Quit trying to defend yourself, Dave. We're moving <laughs> on to the next part. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Every week, I make these three watch an older or more obscure movie that most people their age might not be familiar with. Usually it's something I like. Sometimes it isn't. Because the whole point of the podcast is to make younger horror fans aware that the best new horror movie that they see this year could be a movie from 30 years ago that they didn't even know existed. Uh, this week, Mike made us watch Chud. Now, you guys already knew that existed, didn't you? Yeah, yeah we did. I had already seen it twice before this. Oh, I hadn't seen it. I somehow missed out. So at least one person's getting getting to see it for the first time here. Had you even heard of it before, Alicia? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I looked up, like I see that it's it's got a fair few sort of parodies, like I mentioned the Simpsons one to you guys before. But... Yeah, I, I had never heard of it. It's older than me, the movie. <laughs> so what is Chud? People are disappearing and nobody cares because they're homeless and it's 1984. A cop's wife joins the body count so it finally gets his attention and he joins forces with a soup kitchen reverend to investigate. Meanwhile, a reporter spurs a photographer to look into it as well. But corrupt city officials get in the way of everyone because they're the ones responsible for the man-eating monstrosities lurking the sewers who have now begun seeking prey in the city above. So once again, it's another one of those movies where the government is evil and maybe a little bit of evil corporations in there too. Yeah, yeah, I got very much got that vibe and also like something it's similar to something like society or they live in that it comments on class division. Yeah, yeah, the homeless are a class and it's kind of about how people don't give a shit about them. Yeah. At least they didn't then, that's for sure. We'll see what they have to say about Chud right after this. If you'd like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer Podcast, you can reach us via email at horrorexplorerpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash horrorexplorer. And you can follow us on our Twitter account, at horrorexplorer. All right, we're back. And as usual, Critical Dave is going to start us off. Okay, so as usual, I'm going to start with the beginning. So we get a shot of the street from uh, far away, and what immediately strikes us is the lighting. The <laughs> Sorry, I was joking. That was a joke. But anyway, <laughs> the camera moves down to a manhole, and as it moves down, we follow a pedestrian to the manhole. and She's walking a dog. Yeah, she's walking a dog, and – the manhole opens up, a hand grabs her, the hand pulls her down the manhole, and the title appears. But what I like about this sequence is it very much sets the tone for the film because, one, it shows us that the danger is going to be coming from below ground, and two, its editing style is very indicative of the editing style of the entire film because the creature... This film does something that's very, very unique in that every time the creature appears, even when the creature isn't appeared, even when it's only suggested that the creature is in the vicinity, the editing picks up pace. The editing starts getting really, really fast. We get a lot of quick cuts, a lot of inserts of random things, and it express like panic and chaos to, to suggest the presence of the creature. The music also plays into this as well, but – 
I think something really interesting here is the use of editing to signal the creature. When the woman walks down with the dog and the monster grabs her, we get inserts of her leg, inserts of the dog, inserts of her face in terror. And I think that really shows what the rest of the film is going to be like in terms of what is going to signal the creature. But it takes a while for that association to build. I thought that that opening shot, just the long shot of her coming down the street with the camera kind of drifting down to bring the manhole into frame. I thought that was really well done. I mean, I liked the lighting. I liked the, the, the way the camera moved and everything. I liked how she was just a teeny tiny little part of, of the picture. And then, then there's this manhole that's even bigger than she is. I thought that was really good. Cause it immediately, it immediately tells the viewer, look at this manhole. Something's going to happen. Yes. Yes, exactly. I liked that a lot. I failed to discuss that opening shot, but it's much slower paced, but like you said, it's very well executed. Everything looks nice. And it also sets up kind of this gritty city feel where the city is like a grimy, dark, just foreboding place, particularly at night, it you know, which was common. Driver, actually. Yeah, it was common of depictions of large cities, especially New York in the 70s and 80s. And the next scene, we see a trash machine, like a thing that, like, brushes trash off the side of the street. We start, like, driving down a street while, like, homeless people are following. And it's really nice. It's equating, like, homeless people with the trash on the side of the street that these mechanical yeah. sociopaths are trying to eliminate and move <laughs> off the street, you know? Yeah, there's and there's all sorts of filth and pollution, and there's garbage cans with graffiti on them. And, you know, and it's the same street as the intro, by the way, because her shoe is left behind when she gets sucked down into the manhole. And oh, it I sweeps up her shoe or whatever, yeah. And, oh. uh, you know, and then it mixes the homeless people into that. Like, look, here's more trash, but we're not picking it up. Uh-huh. And connecting the shoe from the opening shot to the shoe in this scene is a really nice visual transition between the scenes, even though I failed to notice it. But that's something I noticed in other parts of the film is the visual transitions between locations. Because at one, uh, to give an example, this homeless woman is walking down the street and then we cut to a farther away shot of her walking down the street. Then we cut to the POV of a camera watching her. And then we cut to the person with the camera. And that acts as our transition into the home of the photographer who is played by John Hurd, which who will become a significant player in this film. Yeah, it's a good way to not only move the scene from one place to another, but it introduces the character and it gives you an idea of what his role is. He's someone who observes and watches the people who are homeless. Exactly, exactly. It's so nice to see something that's that well thought out versus something like Metamorphosis, the alien factor, where every transition seems to be just filler shots. It seems like the transitions are thought out here, and I really appreciate that. There are some that aren't as good, though. Like, what about... I guess it's jumping forward, but later on, like, there's a shower scene, and she's poking down to, like, try and get the drain to clear, and, like, just blood sprays, then it cuts to something completely random and different. I agree with you that some of the transitions in this movie are bad or unmotivated, but I actually really like that transition when she's in the shower, because what happens is she's in the shower, she stabs she uses a hanger by the shower and she just found out she's pregnant, so it's evident why she has a hanger near the shower. But... Uh, (laughs) No, she has a hanger by the shower for clothes, Dave! Jesus! It was a joke. It was a joke. Well, you never know with you. Yeah. Anyway, she stabs the thing in the drain and blood sprays and it covers her and then we cut to a police siren and it effectively acts as a smash cut so it's shocking the audience and it uh, continues the tone of the shower scene into the next scene it helps give the introduction of the next scene a little bit of urgency so i would argue jordan that that Transition is a good transition. However, there are many other transitions that are unmotivated and that feel a little theatrical or cheap or convenient. I got the impression with the shower scene, like it it didn't feel as natural to me. It almost seemed like it was like added later for the sake of having a shower scene. Because, I I mean, there were so many... Yeah, it was so silly. Like, there's no way it could have been in the shower drain. So that's like a little bit insane. 
Plus, when she hurts it, there's blood everywhere. And then the smash cut to her just, like, drying her hair afterwards. Like, she doesn't seem particularly disturbed at all. Yeah. Yeah, that does make it. It does make it seem more like it's something they added after the fact because she looks like she just got done with a normal shower. Yeah, it's like they needed something to have the runtime. Or they just had a bit of extra budget lying around, and <laughs> thought, why not? Make yeah, it because, take a well, there was, there wasn't a whole ton of blood in this movie, and I think they just added that in. It's senseless. There's no reason why the chuds would result in bloods being in her shower drain or why it would spray out. And the scene after where she's out of the shower, like Alicia pointed out is it seems like she's totally unaffected by it. There's no, it's never, never brought up again. She doesn't clean it up. You know, she just sat in that shower that was covered in blood and just rinsed it all off and then went on with her life. I mean, I, it, it may, it was a really, really out of place scene. I absolutely hated it. It's probably the worst scene in the movie. Also, yeah, another thing about that scene is the blood that sprays her is red and chud blood is green. Why would ah. it be chud blood? I, no, I thought it was chud blood. I thought there was a chud oh. in the drain. I thought that's what they were insinuating because it was like gurgling and stuff. It was so out of context that I thought it was going to be a dream sequence, but then they just oh. never go back to it or anything because it's just complete. It's so completely out of left field for what is going on in the movie. So yeah, it has no continuity. Moving right but, along, Dave. Yeah, anyway, yeah, moving right along. So. So when we are introduced to the photographer and his wife, what immediately strikes me is how refreshing and nice it is to see professional actors work because their performances are fine. They're, perform- they're, they're clearly professional actors and it shows. And I'd say the performances throughout this film are mostly good, especially one homeless man, which I think we'll all discuss. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So this movie, before I continue on, this movie follows three subplots or three characters. One of them, as we've already discussed, is the photographer and his wife who are tangentially involved in the homeless community by taking photographs of the homeless community. The next one is the police captain and his wife. This police captain's wife went missing, and it's later revealed that she died in the opening. And the police captain is motivated by her death to try to figure out what's happening in the homeless community. And the third character arc is with... Daniel Stern. I never picked up his actual name in the film. He's, his name is Reverend Shepherd, AJ Shepherd. Okay, okay. So the Reverend guy, he is trying to take care of these homeless people and he yeah, that's pretty much his arc. He wants to defend them from whatever monsters are in the sewer and well, he notices I, that the, the the homeless people that live underground are going missing. Right, right. My issue with this whole structure, by jumping between these three different people and locations, I think that it's stretching itself out a little too thin, and we never fully develop any of these characters because we don't really focus on them. We spend a whole lot of time backtracking. Like, we'll follow one character and learn about that character and learn what they know about the monsters but then we'll cut to the next character who doesn't know that much and then we'll have to go through the same learning process with him yeah i was would say that's super true like this movie does a decent job of building up some tension and then we lose it all because we have to bring somebody new up to speed and it does that like a bunch of times with even with small minor characters and it just makes it uh, drains the life out of all of it a little bit. Yeah, they they definitely overdid it, especially when they kept trying to force this uh, like reporter, investigative reporter into the photographer angle. Uh, you know, there's just they, that was just one too many people. Yeah, it was clearly a ploy to connect the photographer to the police. And the issue is, all three of these characters are very tangentially connected to one another, so. They never really work together. The police captain and the reverend do, but the photographer is – you could almost remove his character entirely. Yeah. But absolutely. all the characters join at the end. Like all those storylines mesh in uh, Yes, they join scene. together, but I wouldn't say they mesh. 
Okay. Mesh implies they all work together and they fit together well. They come together, but I don't think they fit together. Okay. Like all the characters seem interchangeable, you know? Yeah. It, it, it seems like the, the – well, I, I don't agree with that. I mean I think the characters are all different. But it seems like the photographer was just added as a way to get more mileage out of the material by adding another character they could follow. And it, it felt to me like they were bouncing back and forth between these – two or three different characters all the time almost to try to try to do something with the pacing issues that they were having here and there in the movie by constantly quickly editing back and forth between you know one person and the next as if that would create some kind of uh like a feeling that the movie was moving faster when in actuality it was moving kind of slow exactly yes i had the same thoughts but another thing Interesting, not interesting, but another thing that I let me say I disliked about this film was the cinematography because it's all very, very conventional. Like none of the shots are super interesting. So when you're shooting a film, you start off with a very a shot where all the care you shoot the whole scene and the characters are very far from the camera and then you shoot one character's face reacting to what happens in the whole scene then the other character's face reacting to the whole scene the entire film with this exception of a few shots and of the quote-unquote scare shots are shot in this manner and it gets very repetitive just gets very bland and gets very uninteresting much like the cinematography and troll yeah, I agree with that too. There is one that I thought, uh, one really good shot that I liked, what, where you had the uh, old man and the granddaughter with the phone booth, and then in the very foreground you have the manhole and it like slowly lifts up, but that's not the focus of the shot. I thought that was really well done, but for the most well, part, yeah, yeah, the most mostly it's uninteresting. But oh, something else I disliked was the oh boy when, when the creatures <laughs> when we see the creatures you complain we, much. We see the creature's mouth and their eyes going back to the editing, like I already mentioned, a lot of quick inserts to signal the presence of the creatures and quick inserts of the creature's bodies in order to not have to show the whole costume. But it works well. That works well, so that's fine. My issue there is that they reuse shots. There's a shot of a creature's mouth, like, gnashing its teeth, and that shot happens three times and two of those times it happens is within the same scene so it kind of took me out of that scene when we see the same shot repeated it's like why are you doing that just do a different take i didn't notice that are you sure it wasn't just another take that was very similar i'm pretty sure i think what uh, was the shadow movement on its mouth as it like rotated its mouth towards the camera to like gnash its teeth i pretty sure it was identical i didn't go back and double check but it kind of jumped out at me as being even if it's the same shot type just a different take it wasn't that creative you know all right dave and it was something i did i did find amusing was uh the i'm pregnant random character development what do you guys think about that whole secondary character thing i did not see the value in it at all i don't know what they were going for I thought it was authentic, but it seemed kind of pointless. I guess that's supposed to raise the stakes when uh, she has to deal with the chud by herself. But like the photographer boyfriend guy doesn't know about it, so I don't, I don't really understand to be honest. Know about what? He he doesn't know. You know, he's off doing his old own thing with the reporter and going into the underground while she's having to fight this chud with a samurai sword. Maybe it was to show that, like, New York City isn't a good place to raise a baby because they talk briefly about how she wants to move to the suburbs. Maybe it's supposed to be another, like, the setting is is not a good place for raising a baby. It's super dangerous. Chuds and gangs. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and they do. It's surprising for a movie in 1984. Without saying the word, they have a discussion about abortion. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about alternatives. I wrote down in my notes that it's a very progressive perspective for 1984. Yeah. At the end, where she's like, oh, move the car. Doesn't she say my husband's under there? Yeah. yeah. So they're married. Through the whole yeah. thing, I was like, you know, this is her boyfriend, obviously. They live yeah. in an apartment together. 
and they're having this discussion about whether or not they should have the kid. I was like, that's a boyfriend. Then at the end, she does say it's her, her fucking husband. Yeah, it's weird if they're married that they haven't discussed whether or not they're going to have kids until that point. Mm. Yeah, that's like first date material for me. <laughs> <laughs> We're not having kids. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I start off all my dates. I, I say, the person says, hey, do you like dogs? I like dogs. I say, fuck you. I hate dogs. And then I get up and leave. <laughs> okay. Same thing with kids. It just depends which one they bring up first. Speaking of dogs, at one point, the girlfriend slash wife goes into her basement or like down a trap door or something and she finds a dead dog hanging from a wire or something and i like the dead dog effect i thought it was good i thought it was well done it makes no sense though the child well, they cannibalistic they don't want to eat the dog so <laughs> they hang it they yeah hang it why not and hang it I felt like it maybe it just got caught like because the chud was maybe dragging the lady and the dog because it's the same dog it does connect like the yeah, lady who's walking the dog in the opening shot so I thought like oh well it must have got caught there but yeah it is kind of weird and out of place a little bit maybe they were I trying to like spruce the up their that. ugly sewers some like entrail <laughs> streamers nice little dog hanging over there I like what you've done with the place Chad <laughs> but some other moments I found a lot of moments in the film I where I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be funny or serious for example at one point the mayor slash evil scientist slash evil corporate businessman character sends in a bunch of people with cameras to document he's the a, sewer and show that there I think are no he's boxes. the commissioner or something like that. Sure, sure. Like he's some government dude. But then the police chief sends in some guys with flamethrowers after him and then No, that was Bosch that sent in the guys with flamethrowers. Yeah, yes. No, Bosch is not a not a chief. He's a captain, a captain. or lieutenant. Yeah, or I assumed they were interchangeable, but I suppose not. Regardless, the police captain sends in people with flamethrowers after the people with cameras. And then the other guy says, Yo, I'm in charge here. You have to tell those people to come back. And then he, the Bosch, the police captain, says, your guys have a cameras and mine have flamethrowers. And then one of the flamethrowers guys points his flamethrower at the camera and i found that very amusing yeah i like that scene as as it played out it kind of reminded me of a scene from aliens a little later when they're watching on the watching the heads up displays as they're going through there shooting at the aliens and stuff but uh, i wasn't being pedantic when i wanted to to point out that he's not the police chief it's kind of part of the power struggle that's going on in this movie you've got bosh who is like a police captain and He's been ordered to keep these people who are going missing quiet, not to not to raise a stink about it. And he does that up until his wife disappears. When his wife disappears, he wants to investigate it. And the commissioner's getting in his way. And his police chief is kind of on board with him up until the commissioner shuts it down. The commissioner's above the police chief. So there's kind of a power struggle there. And the commissioner's kind of overruling what Bosch and the police chief want to do. But they decide to do it anyways. Okay. I assume that captain and chief were interchangeable. This, another thing that I found unintentionally amusing in this film, perhaps it was intentionally amusing, but one of the homeless men, man, the guy who keeps shouting about, like, shutting the sky. Yeah. Actually, out of all the homeless people, Val, the guy who freaks out, he is I'm definitely – he's the most uh, – They have – power to shut the sky he's the best actor out of the homeless people for sure definitely, definitely. oh yeah power all the other homeless people the only indication that they're homeless is the chalk like on their face yeah you know are they homeless people or are they coal miners that just didn't dress for their job <laughs> yeah chimney sweeps <laughs> yeah yeah it's just they got smudges of black stuff on them their clothing isn't really even all that bad mm. you know but uh, back back to Val, out of all the homeless people actors in this, and even, I mean, he ranks right up there, you know, with one of the better performances in the whole thing. Because when he's delivering that line, he's like shaking in a very, it seems like a really authentic, crazy person quiver <laughs> when he's talking. It's, it's really impressive, and it'd probably be frightening in person. Yeah, he that seems theorized that he's an actual person who showed up on set. Well, his performance is so good that it does lend credence to that. Like, you could believe 
that he was just a random homeless person. Like, I could see it. Yeah, but anyway, moving along, I'm going to jump kind of to the end of the film. But what happens is the photographer and the reverend get stuck in the sewer and need to find their way out. But along the way, they find this old lady, and her husband has mutated into a monster, so they kill the monster. But then the old lady attacks them with a shovel. So what the reverend does is he comes up from behind her and pushes her out of the way, and then the two of them run off, and that's the end of the scene. Well, you know, that's a really implausible scene, too, because the – the reporter who got the photographer to investigate takes a gun and the, with the photographer and goes down there. And then the he gets killed almost immediately, thankfully, because that character was useless anyways. So the photographer's run around down there lost with a gun. And, uh, you know, he sees the guy get killed and, he you know, so he knows what's up. He's run around. He runs into the lady and her brother who are living in some hole down there in the underground and you know he's been bitten already and is turning into a chud for some reason i don't know how that works maybe it's like vampires and then he's there by himself and he gets attacked and then the reverend magically shows up at the same time and rescues him because he got trapped down there one of the thugs from city hall locked him in the underground when they're going to be pumping the gas down there to kill the chuds they're just gonna use like natural gas because that's not dangerous yeah the whole thing is extremely contrived very convenient Another thing that happens, and let's go into some whys about this movie. Another why is why does the monster just show up at the photographer's wife's house at their apartment? Well, uh, well they're all coming out of the underground. Uh, there's only so much to eat down there. You know what I mean? So they're starting to come out for their prey. That's why they're pulling people into the manholes. And then next thing you know, they're going after someone in a phone booth. Then they're attacking cops in a diner. You know, this all this all predicates – the activity where it comes out of the there's a like in the basement of the apartment that the photographer lives in there is a like a trap door made out of metal in the floor that goes into the you know the mysterious underground of new york city and it comes up out of that obviously looking for food it's obviously been there once already since it strung up the dog decoration right (laughs) so pretty was was anyone else bummed out when that kid didn't get killed oh yeah i expected the kid to die but i guess i shouldn't expect kid death they were teasing it like it was going to happen, yeah. but then also, he went back it was to die. Very weirdly, because it sounded like his mom was on the other end of the door. No, his mom was calling from somewhere else that it was time for dinner or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the yeah, monster like down was the banging hall. on the door. It sounded like she was calling from behind the door where the monster was. But anyway, anyway, another why is why does the photographer's wife have a sword? There's well, a bunch the- of swords in the apartment for decoration. Yeah, they they were in previous shots. I felt like it was just kind of like because you know, it showed people. how he's sort of a bit of a selfish bachelor, even though they are married. Because <laughs> and there is some other <laughs> things to establish that, you know. So that's why like the swords are there, I guess. The, yeah. Having sword decorations is the sign of being a selfish bachelor. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. It's like something that I, I kind of take gonna... a bit of personal offense to that. <laughs> well, your wife is probably, I don't know, is your wife super into swords? Maybe she is. It's maybe a stereo- bad stereotype of me, but normally women aren't really into that kind of stuff. So you <laughs> tend to get rid of it when you get married. It's... Oh, it's it's locked up in a closet, but still. Yeah, see, like I have swords and shit too, but I mean, I wouldn't expect <laughs> to get to keep it up on the wall if if I had a wife that you know. So and like you get that in some of the other things too with their relationship because she's like, oh, you didn't bring any of my stuff up from the basement, and he's just kind of like, yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Alicia, you want to weigh in on how women feel about swords? Um. Uh- I don't know what I can contribute. I'm a fan. I get drunk too much to keep swords in the house, if we're going to be perfectly <laughs> frank. But I wouldn't mind having swords on the wall. Not at all. Well, then I guess that's a bad... I shouldn't stereotype, so I apologize for that, then. It's photographer's wife who had the swords. Yeah, it could be. could be. Anyway, so moving right along to the end, what happens is after the wife escapes the chuds, as we've discussed at length, she steals a police car drives to the scene of the crime and meets up with the photographer boyfriend slash husband and the reverend and also the police chief after the police chief is killed by science man, evil science man. And 
evil science man drives a truck at them in the hopes of running them down because why not? The secret cannot be revealed or whatever. The secret being that the chuds are actually a result of his disposal of urban waste down below the city or toxic waste or something. Somebody can clarify this. No, what's going on here is uh, they were trying to move this radioactive waste through Manhattan to somewhere else. Some judge blocked it, so it's just been sitting there, and that's where they've been storing it underground, and then they find more stuff underground that's been there for a long time, and it turns out the commissioner was getting paid to just store stuff underground. The whole twist being that CHUD doesn't stand for cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. It stands for contamination hazard underground disposal, or urban disposal, rather. So that gets revealed. The cop finds out about it from Daniel Stern's character, and he goes to the commissioner and confronts him with it. And then the commissioner shoots him. He doesn't die. And then the commissioner tries running everybody over a couple times, and then Daniel Stern grabs Bosch's gun and shoots the commissioner as he's driving towards them. And then the truck explodes. Yes, yes. In this case, I actually thought the truck explosion was fine because – he had previously established that if the truck hits any potholes, it's going to explode. I obviously missed the comment where he said if if it hit a manhole, the truck would explode. What because the hell was the logic behind that? It was rigged with explosives. So if the chuds dug under a truck, the truck would explode and kill the monster. No. Uh. If, if they were parking the trucks on the manhole so the chuds couldn't get out when they were gassing the sewer. Yeah. So they had all those trucks parked there, and then they rigged the trucks to explode if they were if they were hit from underneath. Like if the chud started trying to push lift the trucks up or push up the manhole into the truck, then the truck would explode and kill the chud. Right, yeah. I, I missed that comment. So when the truck exploded, I was like, mm, bit much. Hit <laughs> <laughs> some like uh, some bins on the side of the street and just blew up. Anyway, final thoughts on this movie. Or actually, uh, sorry, I forgot about the closing shot of the film. So in the closing shot of the film, everybody hugs and everyone's okay, aside from the police captain who died. But the creatures haven't been dealt with. So it's a little confusing. Yeah, you're just kind of left to assume that the gas maybe killed them. Yeah, I think that's the implication. But it's very uncertain. Like, we, we don't see any. There's no catharsis there because the only person we see die is the corporate man. They're all out, like, roaming the streets now, right? So even if you guess the ones that were underground, like, they're at the diner, they're in apartment yeah. buildings. And maybe there were only three, because remember we only saw, like, three or four? Yeah, when they were showing all of them. Who yeah. knows? It doesn't It doesn't do a good job wrapping it up at the end. And uh, I like how after the reporter is, like, inches from this serious radioactive waste just looking at it and not at all afraid of the radiation – when he finally sees his girlfriend, he's just like making out with her. It's like, dude, you're giving her cancer. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyway, so my final thoughts on the film, I really like the editing in the just in general. Wouldn't, but there were some nice visual transitions between scenes and there were also some nice transit, nice indicators of the creature's presence with the what's it called with the monsters. But the cinematography was really bland, and the the performances were good, though. Long story short, I don't have any strong feelings on this movie. So, 5 plus out of 10. All right, great. Moving right along. Jordan? Um, what do I want to say about Chud? Uh, Chud is a movie that I don't think lives up to its full potential if you just watch it by yourself. But it's one of those movies that when you watch it with a small group of people who sort of like horror movies or like to make fun of movies, that it just has so many great riffable moments that it really comes alive. And, you know, there's nothing really that stands out about it. The uh, the cinematography is all pretty standard. The plot is easy to follow. Um, so... It's a better as a social experience rather than a cinematic one, I would say. So under yeah. those, under that context, I think if you want to watch it as that, it's great. But to just sit down and watch it, especially if you've seen it before, it's maybe not as good. You don't, you don't find it like you know just the special effects and the horror and stuff like that. That wasn't enough to entertain you on its own. 
I mean, it it does have some good moments. This movie it has great moments. Um, like there's one scene where like the chud its neck like grows, extends almost like a cobra, and yeah, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense logically, but it's a good no, effect. it doesn't. And like, it's really an uncanny this, looking thing too. Yeah, and it's almost to give her an excuse to like grab one of these swords that we keep seeing and have something to chop with it. But it all the effect works, so it's fine. Um and it has a lot of those good little moments that are maybe unintentionally funny or whatever that just lend themselves to like a snarky comment. And so I think with a small group, it just adds so much more fun to it than you're going to have by yourself, maybe. So that's the the take that I have on it. Because I really, because we've watched this movie uh, as a group before. Some of us yeah. have. Um, yeah. And I really enjoyed it a lot more then than when I was watching myself to prepare for the show tonight. Like it just, uh, it loses a lot of its impact without that group setting for me anyway. The movie, especially if you can watch it with a small group, it's it's totally worth it. Uh, 6.5 out of 10. Huh, not cool. Alicia? Yeah, I, I would agree um, as well about the unintentional humor. Um, like, I thought that there was a bit of a what the fuck bit when, um, oh, what's his name? The wet bandit from Home Alone. The guy, the reverend yeah, guy. Yeah. <laughs> he goes to make a phone call. And uh, bro in shades and Apollo comes out, cancels the call, takes the coin and pops it in his mouth, and then they just stare at each other. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I was coin in his mouth. It was <laughs> fucking hilarious. I did not really understand the point of that. Well, you know, when he cool. when he freaks out at that meeting, when you know Daniel Stern's character is, you know, he shows him the Geiger counter and all this other stuff, and they don't want to tell him what's going on, so he just grabs his shit and leaves. The uh, commissioner picks up the phone and calls someone and says, yeah, he's got long hair and a mustache and he's kind of dirty and he's heading this way. So he dispatched some guy to go keep an eye on him or to keep him from, you know, calling the newspaper, whoever he was going to call. So this guy is like a tough that works for the commissioner, I guess. And he's the same guy that locks him in the underground, too, when the uh, when they're going to start pumping the gas. And he never really gets resolved. Because he never really gets his just desserts. Like, we never see him again after he locks what's-his-name in the underground. The coin eater. Yeah, the coin coin eater. I thought that was great. Um, I thought the acting was really good. Um, It was a little bit over the top sometimes, but generally I really liked it. Um, And it was good to see all these recognizable faces, like John Goodman, very briefly, as a sleazy cop in a diner. Yeah, that's one of his earliest roles, too. And I think that obviously they made a good call of casting because about out of all the cops, you know, that they had small speaking roles in this movie and the other characters who had small speaking roles, they gave that role to John Goodman. He performed it excellently. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great fun. I liked I mean, they did kind of show the monster a little bit early, but they teased for a little bit where you'd see sort of a hand come out and you saw um, the monster's face in uh, the helmet of one of the inspectors when yeah. they with the flamethrowers. I really liked that shot, too. I liked how I mean, you know, I've seen this multiple times, so there's not a lot of mystery for me. But, you know, the first time you see it. And you, you're well, well, I want to see what this looks like. I want to see what it looks like. And then you see a hand and you're like, okay. And then you get that reflection that's just detailed enough to where you can tell it's pretty fucking nasty. And I thought it was a good way to tease the monster and give it away a little bit more without going all the way. Well, all the long shots with the monster look like people wearing costumes. So they did the right thing to show inserts most of the film. Yeah, I agree. They did look a little bit shit and like rubbery when they were finally yeah. exposed. I thought the light up eyes were a nice them. touch. Yeah, I know. They all had the same outfit as well. Plus, <laughs> I know we kind of discussed this, but so how exactly is a chud made? It's the, the, because the guy gets bitten and he starts turning into a chud zombie, but. It, it's insinuated that it's um, like chemical waste. Yeah, like radiation or toxic waste or something like that. And I mean, I guess if you wanted to to really think about it, maybe that guy was just turning into one because they were all eventually going to turn into one because they're all exposed to this stuff. Yes, that's yeah. what I assumed. Because of the which means eventually, that means eventually everyone's going to turn into one that was down there the way they were rolling around in it when they found it. 
Yeah. Surprised <laughs> they didn't kneel down and dip their finger in it and like taste it. What's this? Yeah. I mean, if they're cannibalistic, they should be eating other chuds, right? I guess if they yeah, that makes sense too. <laughs> what a plot <laughs> hole. <laughs> that's why they don't show the end of the monsters they don't show if the gas kills them or what they just kill each other mm, just that's the end of the movie they're all nomming on each other in apartment buildings <laughs> yeah i really liked the discarded human heads that was another thing i thought that they were done really really well especially the one that had been in the water for a period of time the police chief yeah, his wife Wife, so good. It looked fantastic. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I mean, you saw a few other. Apparently, they don't like eating the heads for some reason. Um, <laughs> you see a couple of other heads later on, but I thought hers was like really good. That scene was quite good as well. When there's like the other police officers that the chief is with, they're like, "Holy shit, it's his wife! Get him out of here!" I thought that that was quite quite well yeah, done. The, and the look on his face was quite authentic too. Because he's like, "Yep, I'm gonna go look at another dead body." And he's like, ooh, that's my old lady. Yeah. Damn. What I really like, though, is after he discovers that it's his wife who's dead, he just delivers a monologue at a bar about his wife. And he said she stayed up all night. And then he does a dramatic pause. And then he says, studying, like with disgust and a malicious voice. And then afterwards, uh, he says, one night, she went out to dot, 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 walk the dog. And she, he does this. At like random points in his monologue and I was entertained by it but it was a little bizarre acting performance choice I, maybe I it was a euphemism walking yeah, the dog I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think you're good at picking up on cues from people really Dave about their emotions because to me he you know first of all he was just talking about how she was going to school studying to be like a teacher or something like that and that's all she was doing anymore was just studying and then when she'd get done studying she'd walk the dog you know, and I don't it didn't sound hateful or spiteful or however you were trying to make it sound. It just seemed like he was just he just regretted the fact that his wife was dead. Yeah, I didn't really notice that so much, but that's fair. Um, and I thought the ending was was surprisingly solid. I, I was legitimately shocked when the dirty bureaucrat, whatever he was, shot the police chief. And it was kind of at that point that I realized that I gave a shit about the characters. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I was surprised, very surprised. He seems like say, such a spineless weasel, too. You wouldn't expect it. Yeah. Well, the guy I mean, that shot him, the commissioner. Yeah. Well, and I have to agree with you, too, because at that when that guy gets shot, I, was, I always say, oh, no, not him. You know, so you do kind of develop a love for some of the characters, even though you're not conscious of it happening. Yeah. Because mm. I think, I don't know, when I was watching the scene with the wife samurai fighting off the chud, I I was watching it thinking like, you know, go on, kill her. I, I I don't think I would have minded too much. But yeah, when they shot the the police chief Cap- or whatever, oh, the, uh, captain, yeah, Bosh. Yeah, I felt terrible for him. And then the guy gets in the van and tries to run down a couple of people. Like he was cold as hell. Mm-hmm. I I thought the ending was pretty good. Um, well, his performance was. I have to disagree there, Alicia. I would say that. His driving of trying to run down those random people, it was very cheesy and it felt disconnected from the rest of the scene. Yeah, it was a bit cheesy. It was a bit cheesy. Um, I, I still thought it was a sort of a good indication that he had sort of gone completely mental at that stage. Well, he, he was just, at all costs, at all costs, he wanted to protect his career and not be held accountable for what he had done. You know, that's why he initially pulled the gun on Bosch to begin with before Bosch knocked him out the first time is he was, you know, Bosch was going to tell and he knew that all these other people knew, too. So he was trying to kill all of them so that he wouldn't be held accountable for what he had done. I mean, yes, yeah, some of it was a bit silly and he was sending, you know, coin chugging maniacs to go and. <laughs> <laughs> stop people so it was, it was a bit silly in parts but i i really enjoyed it i would give it seven out of ten cool cool what do i have to say about this movie i like this movie you know this has been one of my favorite not not favorite but i mean it's a really solid 80s movie in my opinion uh i like that it's well shot in a lot of places some of the scenes we've already talked about are really good i don't like movies where they come off as really dark scenes and really confined areas but I think with this movie, it's intentional and it's appropriate, given that they're underground in the sewer and whatnot. 
the acting of, of you know the homeless people was fine. Bal was great, but when it comes to the homeless people, they're caricatures of homeless people. And when you look at them visually, they don't seem authentic because they're just people in regular clothing that have black stuff smeared on them. And that's like one of my pet peeves in movies is homeless people are just normal people that are dirty. You know, they didn't look malnourished or anything. You know, they didn't go that long without shaving. So what do you guys think about that? I already mentioned that I thought they looked like that charcoal on his face, and we've discussed this previously. Thanks, Dave. Okay. (laughs) That kind of goes against earlier when you were uh, talking about not being an asshole. No, no, I was talking about me being an asshole. No, no, I was saying I'm not not an asshole. All right, let it let it go, Dave. It's already so much editing that I just want to die. Remind me to watch the Super Bowl. No, no, sorry. I, I meant we had discussed it earlier. Like the three of us, you, me, and Jordan, the last time we watched this movie, we mentioned how it looked like they had charcoal on their faces. I completely agree, though. They looked well-fed. They looked well-clothed, like – they they look dusty. That was about the the extent yeah. of the effort they put into making them look. Well, none of their performances seemed very authentic, except for the one guy that we mentioned who was exceptional. Like they were just pretty standard. Uh, all the all the main character actors I thought were great. You know, even though some some of the characters didn't belong there, they did okay. Uh, I think Stern Daniel Stern really excelled like in the scenes where him and Bosch first did get together and he's like giving Bosch a tour of the underground and filling him in and kind of taking charge like he's the one that knows what's going on he has to explain to this cop what's going on I thought their interactions there were really good and the stuff with the, uh, go ahead I thought they had a nice character dynamic you know yeah kind of like the buddy cop thing that you see in a lot of movies yeah yeah they have good chemistry together so it worked well uh, I thought the set design was pretty good, too. They did a lot better job with the underground environment than they did with the people that lived in it. It really felt like, uh, you know, a place where people lived, but it was, you know, underground. I mean, I just thought they did, in general, did a good job with the set design there. Same with the apartments and stuff, too. It all looked very authentic. We can contrast the underground tunnel environments with the same thing in Alligator because the ones in Alligator don't look great. But the ones here are much better. Yeah. I think this movie does a lot better job of making the underground feel more claustrophobic than Alligator. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Special effects, we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the special effects. Uh, You don't see the monsters much, like we mentioned. And again, you know, I think that's on purpose. And they do a pretty good job with it. But when they do finally do the reveals, they still don't offer you that much. You know, and as it was said before, they kind of look like guys in suits when you see the whole body uh i think also think that towards the end of the movie the climax the monsters should have been involved more in the end it was just a bunch of people duking it out and that's that's not really what the movie should have been about it should have been it should have at the end it should have focused on the monsters a little more and what happened to them it doesn't even address that really and you don't see much of them at the end so that was kind of disappointing the gore effects when you do see them they're great you know the bite taken out of the guy uh val gets ripped in half and the gore effects on those were both good. What what did kind of bum me out is that they're all aftermath shots. You don't actually see the chuds doing damage to people. You don't get to see the violence happen. And I don't know if this was left out of the movie on purpose, you know, maybe for a lower rating. I think this was a PG-13 movie. Or if this was uh, something that was done to save money or they didn't have the skill to do it or what. I don't know. But I would have liked to see the, the chuds actually doing damage to people as far as – I think it was because – Actually, I was going to say something to do with the costume design, but I suppose that wouldn't matter. Well, it could have ripped off someone's arm or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Would have been fine. Uh, Not sure I why completely I agree with you. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. If you're agreeing with me, that's something I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I think the, the goal when you saw it, it looked expensive. So it was a little bit surprising that they didn't have the budget then, I suppose, for you to actually, for the viewer to see the damage being inflicted. Because the aftermath, to me, looked very well done and quite expensive. So they obviously, they had the ability maybe. So, yeah, possibly it was a ratings choice because it seems like it must have been a strategic decision to not show that yeah i definitely would have liked to see more of it uh another thing that you, i don't know if you guys noticed did you guys notice any parallels to jaws in this movie yes yes for example the commissioner guy says i can't afford the publicity and right next to that line i wrote jaws mayor 
Yeah, and, and there's also a scene where the Reverend, when he's in that meeting with the uh, with the, the the guy who said the thing about not being able to afford the publicity, the commissioner, he says, well, the, you wouldn't know the truth if it came up and bit you on the ass. And there's a very similar line in Jaws as well. And also the uh, when Bosch real you know realizes his wife is dead and realizes it's the commissioner's fault and goes after him. That's a lot like the uh, Mrs. Kittner scene in Jaws as well. And I really do think that those two scenes kind of pulled from Jaws because again it's the same theme where government being corrupt or being uh, stupid, whatever, being greedy uh, has resulted in people's deaths. And it's very similar. Also, uh, on a side note, I googled this movie's rating, and it's rated R. Huh. There's not even any titties in it. Very yeah, light R. Yeah. That being said, that's, when that's you said surprising. PG-13, I was like, Jesus, that's a bit <laughs> lax. Because <laughs> well, there is some gore in it. for PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> but I think but here was, in America, we only care about nudity, not violence. Yeah, pretty that's much. That's true. true. But I was going to say... So, and also language, language. Like, you can only say fuck, like, once in a PG-13 film. Oh. Yeah, you're yeah there wasn't a whole lot of bad language in this, though. There wasn't any that I heard. Yeah, I wasn't really looking for it, but I, I bet if I watched it through again, there probably isn't very much at all, or none. I don't know. Uh, some of the weaknesses of this movie, uh, like I said before, I think it tried to make up for the slower pacing with this really weird technique of just bouncing from one storyline to another and editing it together in quick little chunks like that, scene to scene to scene, almost like a Larry Cohen movie, except with a coherent narrative. I didn't think that worked very well. It did help with the pacing somewhat, but it kind of, I don't know, to me it kind of seemed a bit confusing at times. And it was kind of a letdown because, again, you know, people get to a certain point and then we go to another character and they got to be brought up to speed on it. I didn't like that so much. It would have been far better if the all three subplots came together around the midpoint and then tried to solve the mystery together. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the only thing the only thing that really worked for me with all this back and forth between characters and the different storylines and all that going on at the same time is around the point in the movie where the girlfriend is being attacked by the chud. I think that's really well done. They do a good job building the tension with the kid, the door getting pounded on, you know, her trying to call the cops. But in, in the, it's a good, it's, it works well, but during the sequence, you have two of the stupidest scenes in the movie. You get the shower blood spray for no reason whatsoever that we talked about before that was out of place, I think, for everyone. And that was ridiculous. And then also this, another really stupid one is when the chud's trying to break into the door and she grabs the phone and goes to make a phone call and she trips and like just totally rips the wire. Like no wire is going to rip like that. You're not going to tear your phone apart just by tripping over a stool. I and also think those, the, uh, the chud's go-go gadget extendo neck bit was was quite stupid, it included with the the shower scene. I think that was probably yeah. the excess budget. What are we going to do with it at the moment? Yeah, it's like it doesn't make any sense. At the same time, I liked how uncanny it looked. I just wish it would have – there would have been some kind of explanation for it or something. It's, it's just It just stops and gets a longer neck. It's like what's the yeah. point? All right, and finally, the other thing about this movie that kind of peeves me a little bit is everyone in this movie is getting a lethal dose of radiation, and they just don't fucking care. And that Geiger counter is lit up all the way, and they're just like, hey, let's see what's going on over here with this – radiation they walk right up into it they're touching it they're standing in it and they're not even worried about it and that's ridiculous well so, i think we can all agree it's not a lethal dose because it yeah. turns you in to a fun little chud guy <laughs> yeah they're going to be saving money on clothing in the future that's for sure because <laughs> they're all wearing the same outfit <laughs> uh, so so this movie you know it's to me it's a solid movie but it's not perfect, and it's kind of slow in places. And I have to admit, like Jordan said, it's a way better movie if you're watching it with a couple of other people than it is all by yourself. It scared me when I was a kid, and it made an impression on me. And that's why I wanted to watch it today, because this is something that made an impression on me when I was young. It actually scared the hell out of me the first time I watched it by myself. Maybe because I was a kid, or maybe because that was the first time, whatever. It's an okay movie. I give it a 7 out of 10. What scene was so scary? What scene was imprinted on your little baby brain that was so scary well you know i think the whole girlfriend this is what had happened right uh my parents 
had left me in the house by myself for one of the very first times that they had ever done this. Now, I had seen the previews for this movie the year earlier, not the previews, but they used to play trailers on TV for movies. And I had seen it, and it, the trailers were really, really scared me, the thought of a monster living in the sewer and stuff. And keep in mind, I'm eight when this comes out. And then like a, a year and a half or two later, it's on TV. My parents leave me home alone, and I watch it. And the whole movie scared me in general. It just left me really unsettled, especially the thing with the neck growing that was really uncanny. And mm. that's that, that made an impression on me quite a bit. I mean, obviously now it's just kind of retarded. But, yeah, back then, I mean, this movie, it, it made an impression on me, and I wanted to revisit it again. But uh, maybe I need to do the podcast with, like, an 8-year-old sometime and see how that <laughs> See if I could totally damage someone like I am. Yeah, let's disturb some children. What's missing from the podcast? <laughs> I would love you. to bring in some children and or yeah, some... I bet you would, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that would be amazing. Step one of that process is give Dave the week off. Yeah. <laughs> so moving right along, we've been posting SoundCloud links to newer episodes of the Horror Explorer podcast, and we've been doing that via Reddit. On Reddit, we've been submitting them to the Horror subreddit. And that produced a couple of hundred listens to us just on that one platform, SoundCloud. So if you're hearing this, thanks to our Reddit post. Or if you found us on SoundCloud some other way, thanks for listening. And I'd also like to give a shout out to a more specific subreddit called 80s Horror Movies for their links to 80s horror reviews, trailers, articles, and of course, podcasts like this one. I had a short chat with the chick who runs it, and I think she cares about this stuff as much as we do. Join us next week. When we watch the slightly more old and much more obscure Cannibal Ferox. Now, Dave, me and you watched this once already, and uh, we're going to do a podcast on it, right? Yeah. And then Mitchell quit, and then we just went on and did something else with Matt, I believe. Yes, yes, we did Zombie 2 instead. Jordan, have you ever seen Cannibal Ferox? I've seen Cannibal Holocaust. I don't know if I've actually seen Cannibal Ferox or not. Oh, man, you have to. If you've seen Cannibal yeah. Holocaust, you have to follow it up with the cocaine version. It's Cannibal Holocaust, little brother. What about you, Alicia? Yeah, I've seen Cannibal Holocaust as well, but not Cannibal Ferox. So, looking forward to Cool. It. Some fresh eyes for this movie. All right. Well, that's about all I got for this week. You guys got anything else? I'll take that as a no. All right. Adios. <laughs> Bye. Adios. Bye. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh?